0: Thank you to Roy and the choir for preaching the gospel to us this morning. And I said in the first service, I really enjoyed hearing him. Um, to me, it was, it, was, it was better than Charles Billingsley because I know Roy. And he just preached the gospel to us this morning. And, uh, and that's powerful. And thank you, choir, for uh, supporting him so well and for, for preaching and singing to us um, the gospel. It, you know, unity is powerful. We talked about that last week. Unity is a powerful uh, thing. And what's even more about, amazing about it is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for our unity. He prayed for us to be united as a people. Uh, he prayed for us to believe the gospel. That's a, that's a staggering thought, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for us to believe in him and for our relationships with one another to thrive. That's a beautiful thing. And so we're going to continue in that thinking this morning and, and, and remind ourselves that the unity Jesus prayed for was not just unity for the sake of unity. We said last Sunday that he prayed for at least four things. The first one was in verse 20, and I'm just going to do a uh, kind of a brief review. If you missed last week, this will helpfully this will get you kind of caught back up. Uh, four truths, four things that Jesus prayed for that we want to keep praying for and thinking about as a church family. Jesus prayed for our unity in the gospel. He, he prayed that we would hold fast to the apostolic gospel, to the, to, the, to the word that he entrusted to the disciples that would then be entrusted to others who believe. So he prayed for us. Verse 20 says, I don't ask for these only, his original disciples, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. And the way people will believe 2,000 years later is through the true word of the gospel that comes down from generation to generation to generation. And so, so we have to hold fast to the teaching of the apostles, have to hold fast to the gospel, to the, to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude 3. The gospel of the triune God, who he is, what he has done for us. It, it's not a therapeutic gospel. It's not a moralistic gospel. Um, It's not a consumer gospel. We talked about that last week. This really came home to me as I was um, in the hospital with one of our members this week, just talking with her about her struggle and her cancer. And um, it's gotten to the place where where she's going to die soon, and there's nothing else to do. There's no other treatment and it's just a really hard place. We were together, we were talking, we were praying. We prayed Psalm 23 together and it was really sweet because we both know Psalm 23 but she knows it with these and thou's, and, and we were reciting it together as we prayed and she was praying with King James and I was praying with a more you know, modern translation and it was, it was really just a great moment to see um, the faith of two generations at work in Psalm 23, same words, same exact promises of the gospel in Psalm 23. And so we finished praying, this is Marilyn, Marilyn Herrick, several of you know Marilyn. And we finished praying and she's uh, laying in bed with a neck brace because her neck is now broken because the cancer is all up and down her spine, it's just all over her body. And she's laying in bed with a neck brace and we finished praying together. And these are the first words she said to me with a really sweet but broken countenance. Pastor, I've been singing about this all my life. Now I suppose it has come to pass. I'm going to have to trust Jesus in death. Oh, my goodness. I thought, that is so good. That is so real. You don't need a therapeutic gospel when, when you come to die. A therapeutic gospel does nothing for you. You don't need a moralistic gospel when you come to die. You don't need a consumer gospel when you come to die. Hey, wh- wh- who's going to help you? What are you going to ask for? What are you going to demand your rights? What, what rights are you going to demand when you're laying there? You know, God alone is enough is what she was saying to me. Marilyn was saying, God is enough right now. You know, I've been singing all my life, pastor, that God is enough, and I'm about to believe it for real. Like, this is, it's now or never, God is enough. You can't bank on any other gospel. Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to atheism? Therapeutic deism? Where are you going to go? There's no other hope. Jesus alone is. And the true gospel is what unites us. And it's a beautiful, amazing thing. So, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. God is enough. And when I come to die, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. That'll be enough. God is enough. You won't get that if you don't stay tied to the apostolic gospel, the gospel of the Bible, the gospel that Jesus entrusted to the disciples who had entrusted it to other faithful men who then taught others also all the way down thousands of years later to you and I. We need the same gospel. Secondly, we saw Jesus prayed for us for a unity that deepens by delighting in one another, Unity that deepens by delighting in one another. God's delight is what motivated the Father to send the Son on our behalf. God's delight is what motivates the Son to love us. The Son shares. I love verse 24. Verse 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, they be with me to see my glory. I desire that, that everyone who will one day believe because of the word of these disciples, I desire that they will be transformed by the glory and grace of God. That's what I desire. That's what I long for. I delight in that, Jesus says. And that's what we want to delight in as we look at one another. We want to delight in one another and the transforming power of the gospel. We don't want to delight in our past. We want to delight in who we can be in Christ. We don't want to delight in our brokenness. We don't want to delight in our shame. We want to delight in who we can be in Christ. In the ministry plan, you you have seen the one another's. If you haven't picked one up yet, I would encourage you to do so. Um, On page 6, it says we love one another and we serve one another and we gather with one another. We pray for one another, we give to one another, we forgive one another, we prefer each other. And as we practice the unity, as we practice the one another's of the Bible, the one another's of the the Christian life, God forms in us a unity, it's a beautiful thing. And it can be an amazingly powerful thing. Third, unity, that joins the mission of God. We said last week that this prayer in John 17 has a has a, missional, like, a missional undertow that just runs throughout the whole chapter 17, and if you just kind of close your eyes for a minute or lose focus, it'll pull you out with it. If you don't pay attention, it'll pull you right out. It's just got a strong current, and, and this missional current um, just It runs not only through the whole Bible, but especially here in John 17. Jesus is praying, and the, true, and the true church, the true church of Christ, will always have an undaunted commitment to the mission of God, to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth so that it might resound to God's glory. 17, verses 1 and 2, which we're going to come back to in a few weeks. The hour has come to glorify your Son, When Jesus talks about glory, he's talking about the glory of God that that will be unstoppable at the cross. The glory of God is manifested at the cross. It's a beautiful thing. I've glorified you on earth, Jesus said, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I have come to live a perfectly sinless life. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now I'm going to go be the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb and sacrifice myself. I've recapitulated the whole human condition. Like I've come to live in a way that Adam and no one else since him could, and I've lived it perfectly. I've accomplished the work that you have given to me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence. I want the whole world to understand and know and and love the grace that comes through Christ. That's the goal of the mission of God. It permeates the Bible. It's especially thick right here in John 17. The fourth thing that Jesus prayed for us and that we should pray for each other is that unity is perfected in relationships. This is a crazy idea, verse 23. It's an outrageous idea that Jesus would pray for perfect unity, that Jesus would pray for perfect unity. How could he pray for perfect unity? I'm praying they may become perfectly one it's so hard to imagine with so many different voices and opinions and diversity of perspectives, it's so hard to imagine how God would give us perfect unity. Turns out he's not praying for perfect uh, unity in the sense that we would all vote the same way or um, that we would all agree on the same color of carpet or that we would agree on any other particular matters in church life. What he's praying for is further upstream He's praying for relational unity, a profound, deep sense of relational unity. So that anytime anybody comes into the faith and unites with his people, there's this beautiful completion. There's a perfection, like you've finally discovered who you are and who you're supposed to be when you meet who, when you meet God, when you meet God, and when you meet his people, when you become part of his family. So he's not praying about. Decisional unity, we talked about that last week. He's not praying about decisional unity, he's praying about relational unity. Um, When he says perfected, he's hoping that we will grow into unity uh, in a relationship with God and with each other. Something like the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, when he said, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped works properly, making the body to grow as it builds itself up in love. What Jesus is praying for, what Paul is praying for, or, or thinking about in Ephesians 4, and what Jesus is praying for here is, is, perf- is perfect unity. And that, that is attainable in the sense of relational unity, when, in fact, we become a family and love one another and pursue one another and um, demonstrate grace and mercy toward one another. So completed unity, more like, more like completion, this is how it ought to be, than perfection in terms of personal holiness or something like that. That's what Jesus is praying for. We thought that on a Sunday like today it would be especially appropriate for us to pray for these four things. And so um, we have asked a few of our members to voice prayers of unity um, in concert with Jesus's prayer. So Jesus prayed these things for us. Let's pray them for one another. So what I want to do is is ask you to pray with me, um, and and let's ask the Lord. And as these these voice um, Jesus's prayer for us, as they do it, will you join your heart in asking God to help us? Ask the Lord to grant us this kind of unity. So let's pray together as a church family.